Hey there, and welcome back to the OT Schoolhouse podcast. I'm your host, Jason Davies, and today I cannot be more excited to bring you this very special episode. Today, we are celebrating together. More specifically, we are celebrating the excellent and incredible achievements of occupational therapy practitioners in school-based settings. This episode is all about recognizing the outstanding contributions of three exceptional individuals who are being honored with awards from the OT Schoolhouse. These awards, newly created in conjunction with our annual back-to-school conference, aim to acknowledge school-based occupational therapy practitioners who have gone above and beyond to support students, teachers, staff, and the profession. When I announced these awards a few months ago, the response was overwhelming, with nominations pouring in from the OT Schoolhouse community and beyond. We seriously had nominations from all over the world. I thought it was tough to plan and execute a conference, but trust me when I say that selecting our awardees was even more difficult than that. Each of our 50-plus nominees' dedication and passion were truly awe-inspiring, and at the end of the day, we chose three individuals whose impact during the 2022-2023 school year stood out in the most exceptional ways. Today, you're going to get to hear from each of our awardees in a short interview with myself as I get to congratulate them and share a little bit about their experience as an occupational therapy practitioner. Throughout these interviews, you'll hear stories of innovation, advocacy, and heartfelt dedication to the profession we all love. We hope that their experiences will resonate with you, our listeners, and serve as an inspiration to occupational therapy practitioners around the world for this upcoming school year and beyond. The impact we make in the lives of the students that we work with goes far beyond the walls of the classroom. Now, before we dive into these interviews and the announcement of our winners, I want to express my gratitude to you, the OT Schoolhouse community, for your active participation in the nomination process. I'd also like to extend a thank you to the organizations and individuals who have generously supported our awardees throughout their journeys. As I mentioned, these awards are being presented in conjunction with the Back to School Conference coming up later this month, and I would love to invite you to join me and our awardees at the conference to kick off the new school year. This conference is not only a celebration of excellence, but it's also a chance to learn, grow, connect with fellow occupational therapy practitioners who are making a difference in the schools around the globe. All right. Now it's time to announce and hear from our first award winner, the School-Based OT Student of the Year. Our 2023 OT Schoolhouse School-Based OT Student of the Year is none other than Amar Murad Alashkar. Amar's journey in the field of occupational therapy is nothing short of inspiring. Despite facing challenges, he emerged as a top-ranking student with a deep passion for the pediatric field. His thirst for knowledge and dedication to helping others has taken him on a remarkable educational journey. After the intro, you'll hear how he is helping to develop the field of occupational therapy in his home country of Syria. So get ready to be inspired by my conversations with Amar and the other two award winners who I will announce shortly. And please help me celebrate these exceptional individuals and the amazing work they have achieved. Let's go ahead and hear from our OT Student of the Year, OT Assistant of the Year, and OT of the Year. Hello and welcome to the OT Schoolhouse podcast, your source for school-based occupational therapy tips, interviews, and professional development. Now, to get the conversation started, here is your host, Jason Davies. Class is officially in session. Hello, Mar. How you doing? Actually, perfect. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, it's great. To, it's great to meet you. Congratulations. Uh, I'm really excited 
for you to to win this because you you had several. I mean, you you obviously nominated yourself, but you had teachers, colleagues, friends, uh, some of the people from ASIYS, the uh, Airs SI group. Obviously, people really appreciate what you're doing, and that's that's so cool. Yeah, thank you for that. We really just it's a big pleasure for me just to be here. I'm really grateful. Yeah, yeah, great. Well, well, thank you. No, I, I, I'm a, I'm an occupational therapist. Like, yeah, I, I had the OT Schoolhouse podcast. I had the I had the Back to School conference, and like, I have this platform. But I love that I get to share other what other people are doing by using the platform. I mean, most of the OT Schoolhouse podcast episodes, they're not me like talking. I am just asking questions, and I get to talk to all these wonderful people doing great things. I mean, like, there, there's people that I never would have gotten to talk to if it weren't for the OT Schoolhouse. I, yourself included like it's just crazy that you and i are on opposite sides of the world yet here we are on a zoom call talking to each other and i know from some of the nominations that this isn't your first time talking to people across the world it, it, it sounds like you really like to reach out and and uh and bring people in and learn so so that's just amazing so again thanks again for being here and and congratulations it's it's well deserved yeah, I, I just wanted to take a moment. So let me share with you a little bit about what's going on here. Why why I wanted to meet the first first and foremost reason I wanted to say hello, say thank you, and, and get to know you a little bit. The other thing that I want to do to kind of like I mentioned on the podcast, I like to share other people's stories. So yeah, just let's dive into it. And first off, I would love for you to share just a little bit about yourself and where you are in your OT student journey. Uh, first of all, just my name is Amar Al Ashkar. Just you can see Amar. Uh, it's a little bit just, you know, like hard to pronounce like Arabic letters and I appreciate that. Just actually recently I have graduated, to be honest, like just a few days ago. Well, congratulations uh, had, on that. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate that actually. And I took actually the first place over the fourth for the four years. So that's just a little bit regarding my like educational journey. Actually, I have, I have just you know, started my journey in my university called like Manara University in Latakia. Uh, and like as a scholarship, honestly, like, uh, like other students, our like tutors from Italy, uh, from Unimore University, like, uh, like, at this, like, this is like a part of what we call like this, this scholarship, um, with the supervision from like Dr. Barbara Volta, uh, from the Italian, uh, what we call like from the Italian, um, Aspect and here in the Syria, there's like Dr. Ayad Darwish, who is like the um, the supervisor, just uh, about the occupation therapy department. This is like just a little bit about the the formal educational uh, journey. But uh, I have mentioned also that really, just I have like I I I have like done maybe some of the courses at the beginning of my third year with mm -hmm. a lot of with, yes with a lot of organizations like. Uh, and the first just with equipment the law organization in Argentina uh, and all of them actually like online and then just I I have just just I have tried just to boost my skills a little bit that's why I I've been accepted in the ASIWAS community also uh, with a supervision just from like uh, Professor Smith and Professor Guest and here we are <laughs> well that's awesome um I 
I love that you're giving the shout out to all the professors because obviously none of us would be where we are without mentors, without professors, without all the people that helped us get to where we are today. So I appreciate you sharing a little gratitude for all of them because they really do deserve it. So quick follow-up though, you just graduated. Do you have an idea of what you're doing next? Are you already pick up, did you already pick up a job or what you doing? Honestly, you know, like just the occupation therapy in Syria is new. And I am one of the members of the first wave in uh, wow. regarding, the, regarding the occupation therapy. So honestly, <laughs> you know, just I'm not full of myself, but there are like a lot of opportunities here in Syria just to yeah. uh, to, to work, honestly. But what I, what I just, you know, like need right now just to put my skills in an academic way, for example, just Hopefully, just to have an opportunity related to just to complete my education in a master degree, and to be more specific, I'm fond of like sensory integration, so it's like a tough field. I believe that it's not an easy at all, but uh, this is my preference actually. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So you you're you're gonna you're gonna have to pioneer everything for yourself, really. Like, I mean, you've already been doing that a little bit, it sounds like, but even going forward. Now that you have this degree, it, it sounds like you're really going to have to take it and, and kind of create yourself, your, create your own opportunities still continued. So that's awesome. One of your mentors that nominated you, they stated that you exemplify the following quote from past AOTA president, Amy Lamb. This is a very popular quote. And basically, they state that you exemplify that occupational therapy is more than a job. For many, it is a calling. We felt drawn to it. They said that about yourself. So I want to ask you, what drew you to occupational therapy and a little bit further to help children to access their occupations? I want to just just speak a little bit about the beginning of this like journey. When I have graduated from the high school, you know, just there were like a lot of opportunities related to the, for example, like medical college and other like departments related to the health and science, health and science college. But because the, actually the patient therapy like was really new, cutting edge in Syria. So I said, okay, I will do that. And, and I will do something new related to this, even if it's like, even if it's like new in Syria and maybe just around the world, I said I will do that. And when I have just started my journey, I was like a little bit confused. I can't deny that. But then just I tried, okay, maybe I'm a little bit alone in Syria just regarding that field, but I will just start do something. That's why I have volunteered, for example, just helping the children from the point from the incubation therapy point of view, you know, you know, like just I have tried that. In, in like autism associations, like regarding other like organizations here in Syria. So yes, that's awesome. That that is just so cool that you know. Obviously, I'm based in the United States in California, and OT has been here for a hundred years. But I know that isn't the case everywhere, you know. And for Syria, it's it's relatively new, right? And you again are kind of. You obviously have professors and whatnot who came before you, but you're still really going to have to chart your own path and kind of create what occupational therapy looks like in Syria. And that's just, um, I'm excited for you for that. That's going to be really great. And occupational therapy has a very bright future with you kind of in that position. So that's awesome. 
Thank you. Another, yeah, another one of your teachers who nominated you. Sorry, I, I, you had a lot of people nominate you, so I have great questions. Um, <laughs> they they said that you are working to bring both reflex integration and sensory integration to Syria, as well as occupational therapy. It even sounds like so. I'd love for you to share just a little bit about your experiences welcoming in and inviting reflex integration and and sensory integration into Syria. How how has that worked for you? Yes, I really think you just for that question. I appreciate that, sir. I remember that I have like taken opportunity just to enter a course related to the reflex integration. That's I think before like one year with Dr. Sheila Fick and uh, Tracy. I remember them. I have mentioned actually with the Equidemolo organization in Argentina. I have like I don't like just to separate one hundred percent the reflex integration from sensory integration, I believe that they are really connected to each other. And like hopefully we will do like something soon. It's it's a global thing here in Syria just to conduct like a research related to the reflex integration related to the adults. Uh, it's it's like it's like it's, it's a little bit surprise here in Syria uh, related to the neuroscience field. Just when I have started you know, I just I have started with the children, with the kids here in Syria. And just to know how we can like integrate their reflexes because sometimes the activities like you know differentiate from like culture to culture i believe this mm-hmm. i i can't just apply for example what we call like the muscle for example like protocol here in syria just immediately because we need just to adapt that okay so what we have like made here in syria actually with like um with the help that's been with acceptance organization just to carry on immediately like some protocols related to the sensory integration because you know sensory integration and reflex integration till now like have not specific protocols just to say there are like specific dosage to integrate that reflex or like just to um, supply that child with appropriate like sensory integration so this is like our point just to make like a little bit Maybe global protocols, hopefully, maybe not yeah. only just over the Syria, maybe over like the Middle East countries at the beginning, because this is like not done in till now, like, uh, like, like something like um, what we call here in Syria, like uh, as a protocol, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you have a, a very good foundation, I can tell, of SI and reflex integration. And I, I think that. We are starting to see not not a blending of the two, but we're starting to see how they correlate. And I think you kind of you know understand that to an extent, right? You're you're kind of seeing it from the outside. You're bringing these two pieces in, and you're kind of seeing how they correlate a little bit and how they might not exist separately, but coexist in a way to again support the kids. So that's just it's just phenomenal, and and you really do already have at such a young or such a early stage in your career a a good understanding of that so that's great it's exciting to see where you go from here in your self-nomination now i gotta give a little bit of credit you did self-nominate yourself and you should you mentioned that you like to learn by reading books you said that you took it upon yourself to go kind of outside of just the curriculum even to kind of learn more about sensory integration about reflex integration and other areas moho do you have any recommendations for other ot practitioners or students who want to work with kids any any book recommendations that you might recommend to them you know just 
I, I will not, I will not show, okay? Uh, really thank you for this question because this is the first time when someone like asked me about our advice related to this field. Regarding actually the Moho, for example, actually I have started that by myself as a solitary learner, uh, learning in this field. I have contacted, for example, a lot of professors in England just to help me and actually they did. For example, like uh, Dr. John Cooper, like Dr. Uh, David, just I, sorry, I forgot the, the, the surname. What I have done actually, just I have like uh, wrote the, what we call like the, the textbook of the Moho. Okay, um, at the part of just to, what we call, just to excel also my English more yeah. and more at the beginning of my journey. And I actually, yes, I have, I, I remember that just I have downloaded and uh, some like what we call like uh, manuals related to mm-hmm. that, to those assessments. And I immediately, I remember that just I have conducted them on, on what we call like here in on the clients. Actually, after the permission, regarding the sensory integration, I remember also that I have started just with a book called like Mental Health in, in Sensory Integration. There was like a chapter, like small chapter about the about the sensory integration. But then actually I said, no, I need just to, to boost my level a little bit more. Uh, that's why I, uh, I actually, I almost will finish that book called like the sensory integration theory and practice for Dr. Jen Iris, mm-hmm. uh, the third iteration. Uh, so yes, but if you need just, but please, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not full of myself, but if you need just like more simple books, I recommend like uh, sensory integration and learning disability uh, as like the first book in this field, uh, also for like uh, Dr. Jen Iris. So yes, actually, b- because you know, I, I have started my journey like alone. That's why I have said, okay, let me just rely on the textbooks, on the research, more than just immediately go to the courses, for example, uh, and something like formal, you know. Yeah. Now, we, we education in itself is such an important occupation. In fact, I even have a shirt that says education is an essential occupation. And us as occupational therapists, we have to, you know, kind of practice what we preach. You know, we're helping kids learn, we're helping adults learn, but we have to learn, we have to take initiative to learn. And that's great that you kind of just took that initiative and said, you know what, I'm getting, I'm getting all of this from my classes, but I want to go further in this topic, I want to go further in this subject and learn more. And and you found a way to do it. That's just great. All right, I got one more question for you. And that is, do you have any words of encouragement for maybe occupational therapy students out there who want to pursue work with pediatric populations? And uh, this can be anything. This is totally up to you. Just some encouragement or words of advice for occupational therapy students out there in the world. Yes. Um, also, like I'm really grateful for you for all of these really helpful questions for me and maybe for others. What I need just to say, I think like just one sentence, just for all of the occupational therapy, maybe students or maybe practitioners who are like maybe my colleagues or not, just be patient, okay? Because I, you know, just I swear God, I have done all of these works, and I have not expected in my life that I will do like a podcast, for example, just as a, like a summary of what I have like achieved in my life. So just be patient and just, as my professor called like uh, Dr. Smith said to me once, well, just trust the process. So if your process right now, for example, just 
four, three years or four years or sometimes like five years re uh, related to the incubation therapy program, just trust the process. And if you love pediatric, okay, uh, you know, just the money is not the matter. I have experienced a lot of the financial like problems and maybe I am like a real, ex what we call like uh, example for this. So just to start maybe with something simple. Like as I have mentioned, like research sometimes, like books who are like uh, sorry, which are like available. So then you can maybe ask, for example, like this wonderful person called Jason, for example, to about anything you want. So be patient and trust the process. Yeah. Yeah. Omar, thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming on here. Again, you are so deserving of this award. And I'm so excited uh, that you're going to be attending the Back to School Conference with us. It's quite amazing. Just even our journey of how we got here, because you actually reached out to me before we even started this award process, asking just you wanted to learn more. You 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 love the podcast and you're, you wanted to attend the Back to School Conference and you took it upon yourself just to reach out. And say, hey, Jason, look, this is my situation. I would love to attend. I'm in Syria. What can we do? And um, I'm just so excited that now here we are on a Zoom chat. You're going to attend the Back to School Conference. You're going to learn. And I'm sure I will learn from you over the course of your career as well. I'm sure this won't be the last time that our paths cross. And I really appreciate that. So congratulations again. Thank you so much. That's really kind of you. And Really, I appreciate every effort that you have invested just to facilitate this road. And thank you for the OT House collaboration and every single person that just made this chance real for me. I appreciate that. Absolutely. Absolutely. One more time, please help me in congratulating Omar and wishing him the best of luck as he begins his career in occupational therapy. And now we have the school-based occupational therapy assistant of the year award. And this award goes to Elaine Ulmer of Delaware. Elaine was nominated by her supervising OTRL, Janie Schellenberger. Elaine's advocacy for her students and her school-wide contributions, including creating a sensory room and implementing sensory-friendly activities, have left a lasting impact on her preschool students. Her colleagues and parents alike praise her for her positive influence and resourcefulness. Join me in my conversation with Elaine as she shares some of the inspiring roles she takes on as a school-based occupational therapy assistant. Hey there. How's it going? Good. How are you? Doing very well. Thanks for joining me today. I appreciate you being here. No problem. Here. Yeah. And congrats. We had a lot of people apply and I'm excited because Janie. Yeah. was the one who uh, nominated you. And <laughs> I know you also nominated Janie. And uh -huh. she was, she, I, I haven't reached out to everyone yet to say thank you and whatnot. Uh -huh. But she was definitely within like the top five that uh, <laughs> that we, we we didn't end up awarding Janie. But we did. Uh, she was definitely up there. Up there in the running. So, yep. <laughs> yeah. I'll so thank you both. Yeah. Thank you both for nominating <laughs> each other and sharing quite a bit about what both of you are doing. Uh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yes. Well, anyway, so I have some questions here that that I want to go through and just to get to know you a little bit and then know uh, what you are doing in your schools that make you such a great occupational therapy assistant. So, yeah, that's about it. Okay. Yeah. So 
First of all, to kind of get us started off, I'd love to just hear a little bit about you as far as where you are in the world of occupational therapy. You're an occupational therapy assistant, but tell us a little bit more about where you are and kind of about the schools that you work in. So right now I'm working in a suburban town that's growing very rapidly called Middletown, Delaware, and we are building at least one new school per year. And they're on campuses that are K to 12 campuses. So it it's really growing. And um, the population of autism is really growing in our area. And a lot of people are moving in from the bigger cities to this town. So we developed an autism program. And I am the provider for the preschoolers with autism um, within an early childhood center that we have. Absolutely. Do you work with the kids above preschool or is that kind of your primary role? My primary role is preschool. Gotcha. Perfect. And Janie, the OT that uh, nominated you for this award, and it looks like she's also your supervising Mm -hmm. OTR. She mentioned that you are just such a huge advocate for those preschoolers with, with autism. And so I'd love to hear from you. What does that mean for you to be an advocate for these autistic children? What does that encompass for you? And what does that mean to you? Well, it means a lot to me. Uh, I have neurotypical children myself, and I just feel really blessed. And I just really want to help families to get the most maximum potential out of those children with autism. Um, I also provide support with siblings. We sometimes have some siblings in our program with autism and just try to get parents to reach out and get them into support groups as early as we can. You know, sometimes when one twin has autism and the other twin doesn't, it's just very hard for them at the preschool age to understand, oh, what's my brother going through? Why is he different? And that has really pushed me to just further my education through continuing ed and autism. Um, I did a certification course through IPSES um, this past year just to learn more about autism and the best practices in autism. Um, because we are an ABA-based program, and we try to follow those national standards of autism. So I try to stay up to date through continuing ed courses, as well as educating families on what current best practices are. Uh, this uh, this year and last year, we've done different, um, every other month, we do some kind of not a podcast, but like a Zoom that families can do, or we've had live presentations where they can come and learn about different topics. And I was on a team that did sensory processing, and we did it from preschool through 12th grade, but um, we all worked together to help them on how they can help their children to access the community. And that's, um, that's something that's very concerning to parents with preschoolers. You know, they want to get out and they don't know how to deal with the kids' sensory issues and social issues. So we've been working on addressing those through our program. That's awesome. It sounds like you're coming from uh, several different angles to support the students, whether it's with a sibling, with peers, from an ABA, more behavioral role, also from the sensory side. And one of the things that Janie also mentioned is that you help to develop and create a sensory room or sensory type of program. Uh, Tell us about that. Yeah. So during COVID, uh, the director of special education, we got funds for a sensory room and it moved really quickly. We had to pick things quickly and then we did wait a long time for them to come in, but they've all come in. So we have a very small room with no windows that we have, but we are making the most of it and we have a schedule and 
We have a really amazing chair that hooks into music and vibrates the vibroacoustic chair. And that is really cool. So we do a lot of training. I do training with the staff and find out with the kids what they like. And then we put that into their daily schedule, that time in the sensory room. And it's become really good. The kids will use their PEX books and they'll be like, I want sensory room. And <laughs> it, it just, it, which makes you know that you've developed a cool space. That yeah, they yeah, really absolutely. Like. So, yeah, that's cool. And so I, I know a lot of people utilize sensory rooms in different ways. For your program, is it always that a student goes to the sensory room with an OT? Or is it an aide that might take the student, teacher? Or how does that work? It's going to be either a teacher or a paraprofessional, so a teaching assistant, and but they're all educated. I do, you know, an education with each child on what each child needs, and they're very, very good. We communicate through team meetings every other week with our ABA, our BCBA, and the speech therapist, the OT, the PT, the psychologist, and the teacher, and the paraprofessionals. And if we need to make certain tweaks, we do that, um, and we just help. I just help to kind of continually adjust the program as it's needed. Wow. So how then do you, do you provide like a report for each student on kind of like what they should get based upon time, based upon behaviors that they're maybe exhibiting? Or how do you determine, since you're not the one obviously providing the service at that point, right. um, how do you kind of determine what the program looks like, I guess? So if the if the student has a behavior plan, those sensory needs are addressed through not only the IEP, but on the behavior plan um, as an antecedent to try to prevent any kind of meltdown or sensory issue. So that will be and we'll review that at these meetings. But, you know, we also tweak it as needed and it's on a Google Doc. We always have notes on each student that's accessible to everybody on the team. And then the teacher tracks via a data sheet if something things working or not through a small rubric like a self-regulation rubric like zero one two three yeah. from is there there are they low registration are they are they overstimulated um, did this help or did this not help and so we do track what helps and what doesn't help awesome that's great yeah i i love that you mentioned that you have these these team meetings you know twice a month every other week or so um and i just kind of want to quickly dive into that and share with everyone listening out there what that can kind of look like cuz i know a lot of people hear that and they think oh man there's no way that i could meet with a team every other week we just don't have time for that uh but how do you all as a team kind of keep those meetings i'm assuming relatively short to the point and and get some valuable time that is much needed in to support the students. Yeah, absolutely. So we have them set from the beginning of the school year that every other Tuesday we meet with class 303 and it alternates every other week. So it's very standard. We always know as a related service provider that on Tuesday mornings at 830 to 9 and Wednesday or Tuesday and Thursday, we have these meetings and everyone's just committed to it because they know how important it is. And it, you know, at first Everyone was not so sure about that, but once everyone sees how they can be working as a team, it was really easy to get buy-in from the staff. And we have, uh, you know, we have a Google Doc and we also do group emails, you know, just like, hey, I really need to talk about this friend this week. Um, so some weeks we might not touch on all six children in the room. Yeah. And then other weeks, you know, we we get to touch on three or four, but, you know, we kind of bring the neediest first. 
And we just really, our speech therapist is really good about keeping us on track. You know, we've all got this, we've all got that one person on the team that we really need. <laughs> and our speech <laughs> therapist is really great with saying, hey, this is a timekeeper, you know, and yep. we, need to, we need to stay on track. That's awesome. So uh, Janie, as she was nominating you, she really mentioned a few key words that really stood out to me when she was talking about your therapeutic activities. And she mentioned topics, well, not topics, but terms that are very education focused, such as uh, focusing on curriculum, children's literature, motor language and academic concepts. How have you found a way to incorporate some of those things into what has traditionally been the medical field of occupational therapy. How have you incorporated that curriculum and literature into your therapeutic activities? So I have attended the trainings that the teachers attend, which is very helpful. And a lot of it is not applicable to us, but it has helped me to know what they're doing. And we have a strong curriculum, an actual autism curriculum that we use, and it's got things like block building in it, and it's got pre-writing and writing activities. And when I looked at it as a team, I said, you know, I don't think these writing activities are really geared toward our students. So then I created a modified pre-writing curriculum to use the same things that they were looking for within the curriculum, but make it more accessible to our students because we have students with significant needs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, that's very that cool. Question? Yeah. I mean, there's very few people that have taken that initiative. You know, we we have been in those trains. We've seen that, you know, you're sitting in the train, you're like, this doesn't apply to me. This doesn't apply to me. Not only does it not apply to me, but it doesn't necessarily apply to the kids that I work with. And so I think at the back of our minds, most of us have had that idea like, I should create something different because right. this doesn't apply to me. But it sounds like you've actually have, have taken that step and gone and created that alternative program to support your students. So that's just. Amazing. And then I'll go in, I'll continually go in. I'm, we always work in the classroom typically. And the teacher will say, Hey, I'm getting ready to start this level. And we're working on motor imitation. You know, can you help me? Can you be the second person prompter? And by learning how to do that, I've learned a lot about how we teach motor imitation and, at first I thought, well, motor imitation is an OT thing. It's not, uh -huh. it's not academic, but now I see why it's important as working from a multidisciplinary standpoint that speech OT and the classroom staff know why we're doing motor imitation and, yeah. and how we do it and how we do those errorless learning strategies and why we use the textbook all the time. I mean, the speech therapist and I work hand in hand and I was just thinking about her today. I'm working summer and she's not, and <laughs> I'm still using those textbooks and I'm still, you know, helping those kids communicate in the same way as we do during the school year, because it's so ingrained through my training with her. So we just work as a really great team at our school. I, I can absolutely tell, like, you know, when you talk to someone, you can tell what they do on their day to day basis by the terminology that they use. And you are not simply using OT terms. You're not just throwing out fine motor skills, sensory processing. You're using terms that every person on the team would use, such as, you know, pecs, uh, motor imitation. These are things that I can tell that you have learned from other people because, you know, OTs just don't talk about pecs as freely, as uh, confidently as you are using that term right now. So that's just that's just really awesome. We'll, we'll wrap this up with a, a few kind of just fun questions. What do you most appreciate and love about school-based occupational therapy? I loved initially, I started working in the schools in Cincinnati, Ohio, and I just was thrown in with little support. And I was 22 and I just had to figure it out. And 
then I went to working at a children's hospital where I learned so much about so many different areas of focus. And then we moved and school-based therapy was for me because I needed the flexibility for having a family. Yeah, And it's really been helpful to be on the children's schedule. But now as they're getting older, I find that I just can't see myself working in any other place because I come from an education background of teachers in my mm-hmm. family. And I've been hearing them talking for years and years about education and, and it's downfalls. <laughs> and so I just love being, trying to be part of kind of re-energizing yeah. school-based OT and re-energizing the education system as a whole, because it's, it's just kind of depressing some days because people yeah. are very down and it's just, I just really try to always be, be there to try to encourage and lift people up and just, really help to educate them so they can do their job better. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, we are really a support personnel for the teachers so that they can, you know, Mm -hmm. better support the kids that they're with every minute of every day. We're only with them maybe 30 minutes a day, 30 minutes a week, but those Mm -hmm. teachers are there all the time. And if we can support them, uh, then we're going to be supporting the kids too. So, so that's great. Uh, What are, what are you most looking forward to in the upcoming school year? Let's see. We have a lot of changes in our building. We had a lot of a few resignations and a huge lot of retirements. So we are going to be getting a lot of new staff. And to me, that's really exciting because we get to re-educate those staff on all the things that we know as OT practitioners and speech therapists and mm-hmm. um, and our nurse. We've all been talking about how exciting it is to just have the opportunity to, you know, start from the ground up. Not with everyone, but it just is so important to me when somebody asks me a hard question and I, I'm i like, oh, yes, this is why we do what we do. But when you've been doing things a long time, you sometimes become complacent and forget why you're doing what you're doing. But I'm looking forward to some new people coming in so that, you know, that will help to remind me why I do what I do. It's kind of like having yeah. fieldwork students. I love having fieldwork <laughs> students because they, when they ask questions, they're like, I'm sorry. No, it's great because that helps to remind me, you know, what my roots are and the frames of reference and all those things that were studied a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. The things that we, we don't open and look at in textbooks as much as the students right. do and can remind us a little bit of it. Yeah. We, we oftentimes get just as much uh, knowledge and information from our students as they get from us, the fieldwork students, of course. So, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, that's great that you take on students. All right. Well, to wrap things up, Jane, you said one last thing, and that is that after you do all of this therapy, all of this setting up sensory rooms and programs and whatnot, at the end of the day, you are the car rider line faculty <laughs> member. <laughs> so uh, I, I got to ask really quickly, since you're getting some new staff, it sounds like, uh, will you still be taking on that role or do you get to pass it on to one of the newbies? I think I'll probably still be in that role. It's a... Uh... <laughs> we, it's, a, it's a campus with a couple different schools and a football stadium. And oh, wow. People that want to go to the football stadium just look at that and they don't care if there's buses or if there's people in the way and they're driving and I'm out there directing traffic and connecting with families and just keeping everybody safe. So, yeah, yeah, I know some places, you know, the OTs and the OT practitioners, they do have, you know, before after school duties or during school duties, Mm -hmm. recess or whatnot. Um, Some don't, but 
I'm sure just kind of getting to know you over the last few minutes that I'm sure you actually do use that opportunity, even as an OT practitioner, to get to know the families, get to know the students, parents, Mm -hmm. siblings, all that, so that you can turn it right around and uh, use it in therapy. I mean, the more we know about the families of our students, the more we can support them. So that's just great. Yeah, you see a a toy falling out of the car and you're like, oh, we need to try one of those as positive reinforcements. (laughs) There you go. There you go. Well, Elaine, it's been a pleasure getting to know you a little bit. Uh, Congrats again on this award. It's very much deserved. And uh, yeah, I look forward to staying in contact and seeing uh, seeing where you go in the future. That's great. All right. That sounds great. Thanks, Jason. Thank you. Please help me one more time in congratulating Elaine for this award. I hope you have a wonderful start to your school year, and I look forward to seeing how you continue to support your preschoolers. All right, last but not least, it is time to announce and hear from our school-based OT of the year. The 2023 school-based OT is, drumroll please, Holly Lockrow. Congrats, Holly. Holly is a full-time school-based OT and a part-time adjunct professor in the state of New York. Her recent capstone project, the -the on-the-spot OT intervention for kindergartners in an inner-city school district, yielded significant results and paved the way for inclusive programming. Her dedication and commitment to fostering an inclusive environment for all children truly make her a standout practitioner. Please help me in congratulating Holly as she shares a bit about her on-the-spot OT program. Yeah. Well, it's nice to meet you. <laughs> you too, Holly, and uh, congrats! You're, you're. I'm glad you submitted because, well, a we we had a lot of wonderful submissions for, especially the occupational therapist award. It was so difficult to choose, but I love to hear, or I'd love to hear what you are doing with your uh, your doctorate and everything that you're doing. So, uh, yeah, how are you doing? I'm doing okay. You know, this is really exciting. And I put a lot of work into my doctorate and um, I'm finally done, thank God. But I I can tell you how it all kind of started and uh, how it got me to sitting here chatting with you. Um, of course, I would like to thank you for your podcast. I love your podcast. I listen to it all the time on my runs and my walks. And uh, and I just appreciate all the info that I'm able to take in and, and uh, I share with my students at the college level and, you know, as fieldwork educator and all across the board. And, and I'm able to apply it with my students at school, of course. So yeah. I have been, uh, and so thank you for that. And also congratulations on your baby. I've been following you. Oh, thank course. you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's six. He turned sixteen once yesterday. Uh, I can't. My goodness. I feel like you were just saying we're having a baby and on one of the podcasts, and then it just. <laughs> and then at one point, I think I heard you say he's seven months old, or and I'm just like, what? Where does this yeah. time go? Congrats. Yeah, yeah, and I I keep going back and forth on how much to share about him on the podcast with everyone. I don't know how much people want to hear about that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed but, it. I enjoyed yeah. it. Yeah, so, so share with me a little bit about your OT world. I know you've got a lot going on. It sounds like you're maybe adjunct at a position as well as a full-time school-based yeah. OT. Yes. So I'm a full-time school-based OT at Troy City School District in Albany area, Albany, New York area. Um, it's actually in Troy City School. So it's a it's a smaller city school, but it's an okay. inner city, an urban setting. Um, we have a hot 80%, I think 80 or 83% of our students are lower socioeconomic. And so I've been working as a school-based OT for about 25 years now. And 
each year we do the kindergarten screenings. I'm not sure if you have to do kindergarten screenings out your way, but <clears throat> every year we have to do our kindergarten screenings on the students coming in and we do it the first okay. two weeks of school. And so, because our, we are a very transient population. And so if we did it in August, like a lot of the school districts do, we, we would have half of them or less come in in the fall. So we yeah. just wait until they enter kindergarten and they're fully registered in our school because it's they're so transient. They would just move to mm-hmm. another school or another district that's close by. And so every year we would do the session and then they would, or we do the assessments and then they a handful of them, usually about 10% of them is what I found with my study, would fail the screening, would, would fail the, it's the ESI is what we use. And so they would come up as screen uh or they would come up as rescreen or refer like refer to special ed and our district won't let us refer to special ed right away we have to go through the mtss process yeah and so with that being said when they would fail essentially when they'd get a refer or a rescreen that would be it we would just wait until january mm-hmm. And I said, I don't understand why we're waiting. Why are we not doing an intervention? Why aren't we doing something? We are working with a population who is at risk to begin with. And based on where they live, right? Based on, you know, their- Inner city. Right. And studies show that. And so I decided to say, I want to do the six-week intervention. Let's see if it works. Because I was doing, at that time, I had started my doctorate. And actually, to be honest with you, it was stemmed from, I don't know if you've heard of um, speech therapists, they do speedy speech. Have you no, ever heard of No, I haven't heard of that There's one, no. a whole program out there that speech therapists do. It's called Speedy Speech. And what they do is they pull students and they do this quick little speedy speech for about 10, 15 minutes. And they do it for a period of time. And then they check to see if the child's made progress. And then they send them back and they say, yes, they're cured, right? And I was goofing with a coworker and I said, speedy speech, that's so silly. Like, what do you guys do? She's like, no, it's it's actually a real thing. And so I spoke to the speedy speech person who does okay. who like invented this program. And I kind of got down the general gist of like how often she did it, the time frame she did it, is in small group or individual. And so what I did is I implemented, I created what's called on the spot OT. And this is basically an intervention that I created that aligns with the shore screening tool. And so I address postural control, fine motor, uh, in-hand manipulation, um, strengthening, I can't remember them all now, all the parts <laughs> of the rewriting lines, um, visual motor skills, and draw a person. And so all those things were addressed within my on-the-spot kind of okay. um, uh, booklet. And so uh-huh. I did that for six weeks. And when I was done, I did the post-test with them and I did the shore post-test and I also did the ESI, which is our regular screening tool. Okay. And, and I only had 10 kids that failed it. Of those 10, two ended up having a refer, not a, not a, or a rescreen, not a refer. And two of those kids, one had ADHD and was diagnosed during the process because I was pushing for something, something's not right. And the other one has autism is now in a um, self-contained classroom. Wow. Everybody else caught up and yeah. was able to achieve all of the, um, was able to pass the ESI after. That's awesome. You just like hit on all my favorite points regarding RTI and MTSS. Like that's exactly how it's supposed to work, right? Right. You screening, you know, uh, I'm a, you said 10. I'm assuming that may be out of like 50 kids or so. Or... Yep, exactly. About 50. I was like 46, I think. I don't really remember the exact number. Okay. But yeah. Yeah, so it was about 10% of the kids failed the screening. And I, I kind of categorize them as refer or rescreen. So if they fell okay. into that, 
they were, that was my inclusion criteria for my study. And so uh-huh. I took those 10 and I did quick, small groups and I, it worked out because it was about two or three kids for each class. So if I did each class and I did about 20 minutes for each class. It took about an hour and a half each day. I had four okay. kindergarten rooms. I would just do 20 minutes, 20 minutes, 20 minutes, 20 minutes for six weeks. Every single day I kept track of data. So like I could say like, oh, this kid's really having a hard time with his postural control or there's some sensory stuff going on. Maybe there's a visual thing. And I would just kind of keep anecdotal notes about that. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah. And so I kind of, as that was happening, I kept them on MTSS because I could see these other areas with parent permission, of course, and just continued to build skills. I spoke to the teachers and kind of fed them the tier one, like, hey, these guys, this is what they could use to be to improve their skills. And Uh it was literally perfect. And so of course, this school year, we're going to implement it again. And I actually because I don't really have time, I'm going to have my fieldwork education students do it, train them to do it. So perfect. So, so you did the screening, and then you kind of did that implementation, you did tier one, you kind of mentioned talking to the teachers, but then was it technically, would you call it a tier two program with the kids that you were actually working with directly? And were were you pulling them out? Were you going into the classroom and working with them in a small group? What did that actually look like? I pulled them out into small groups. So I just pulled them right outside the classroom. There was a table and we just addressed that skill. So every kid each day. So for instance, the postural control was week one and I would just do scooter board activities and they would do just an alphabet and bring down. So they would be on that scooter board for that period of time. Uh-huh. And I would let them up. for so the whole week we did scooter board and postural control stuff. And then throughout, I would also implement that. But it was a small group, usually about two to three students. It okay. only took about 15 minutes per group. And I did it for six weeks. Awesome. And so because this was MTSS, how did you handle the parent permission? Was that required? Did your school require that? Or what did that look like? The school would require it, but I had to get extra permission through my um, through my capstone IRB. project. So I just brought them, yeah, through the IRB process. So I would just bring that to the parent. And I said, this is what I'm doing. You know, if you if your child qualified, actually, I guess I did it to all the parents who qualified. I said, you know, he, was, he had a little trouble on the, on the screening. I want to give him this little intervention to give him that bump. And most all parents were like, great, you know, and they signed it right away. Um, if, you know, this year I don't have that study. And so because MTS is part of our school, we can go ahead, but we'll inform the parents that this is going to happen. And we'll just get kind of like a permission through our parent square, which is the way we communicate. It's our, it's our communication. board. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so we'll just get permission if you oppose it. So we'll do like an opt out kind of way. Like if, mm-hmm. you op- if you're opposed to this, please let us know. And if kids qualify, then we'll just have them sign the permission. That's great. That That's awesome. Because, you know, one of the biggest barriers when it comes to an IEP is the time that it takes to complete that evaluation process, then hold the IEP, then start to implement services. I mean, it can take, I mean, I know the, theoretically, it's supposed to take 60 days, right, from start to finish for the referral process, depending on your state. I know it's 65, 45, depending on where you're at. But uh, by the time you really realistically get those services going from the date of the referral to services can be three months or so. But it sounds like you were able to kind of do this. You started two weeks into the semester or into the year with that screen. And then relatively quickly, you're able to start this program, rescreen, and then you, you have this data to show we had kids, but they don't necessarily need OT services now. Yeah, it was all done by December 6th, I think it was. 
sixth or eighth. We had put them through the process. And then I went out once I rescreened them and got the scores. And then I was able to give feedback to the teachers too. So to continue that tier one and those kids that didn't necessarily do you know, they were, they were used, they were still like on the cusp. I just kept them as a tier two and just kept pulling them just to give them that. And I would just have my students do it. And it was, it's great. I ended up with more than half my caseload were MTSS kids this year, because one, we weren't in our district, we were not identifying the students because they were saying, well, they've been out from COVID or, you know, they've, they, you know, this could be an impact of COVID. How do we know? And I'm like, well, that's Mm -hmm. not fair. So because of COVID, you know, it just, it just didn't seem right to me. And so I was like, I'm just going to give them the services. And the teachers were so grateful. And so were the parents, actually. And then wow. we documented it in, we use um, IEP Direct. I don't know if you okay. do. IEP. So we use No, IEP. but I'm sure it's very similar to all the other IEP programs. Right. And so within our IEP Direct, we have what's called RTI Direct. And so okay. we document everything right in RTI Direct. So the students do documentation and notes and everything right in there so that we can track their progress and do progress monitoring, updating, and things like that. It's great. That is fantastic. I, I'm so excited that I got to talk to you a little bit about this. Um, I, I want to ask a few more questions, actually, as we kind of, we shared a lot about the actual program, but I want to ask moving forward, what are you most excited about for this upcoming school year, whether it's related to on-the-spot OT or, or anything else? Um, I think I'm in a transition right now because I am, I'm staying in my school. I love my district and I'll retire there. I only have about six years left, hoping to leave my mark, you know, with, with, uh, the on the spot. Um, but I think most exciting about this year is that I'm working very closely with our kindergarten teachers to implement handwriting without tiers across the board and to implement a lot of tier one strategies within the classroom. We're going to do some small groups in the classroom in all of our kindergarten rooms. And another thing that I'm really excited about is I'm collaborating with not only am I excited about MTSS stuff, but I'm also really passionate about mental health and trauma-informed care with our students because it's so important. And so I am working really closely with our school social worker, and we are embedding an activities in the room to address not only fine motor, but, but mental health um, projects within the room using this little, little spot books. And um, there's a few other websites that we're using. So super excited about that as well. That is fantastic. I love that you are kind of you know, a lot of a lot of people, OTs and non-OTs, you know, we, we first think about the fine motor stuff. And you know what? You've got that implemented with on the spot. But now you are going to that that next level, the next step of really taking it a bit further and looking at the mental health. That That's just awesome. I'm excited to see where, where that goes. That'll be cool. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I'm yeah. really excited. So uh, two more questions. Uh, do you have any words of encouragement for any other uh, school-based OT who might actually be interested in an MTSS program, whether it be developing one or taking one and implementing it, what information would you share? Just wisdom. Get involved. <laughs> Get involved. I mean, I've had all these years that RTI has been around for a long time. Now we're calling it MTSS and I've been involved at various levels, but never really made myself known as being involved, right? Teachers come to me and I'm kind of in the back stages of things, but to now I'm like, no, if you want this embedded and you want my my um, services embedded into what you're doing, I'm part of the MTSS process. And now I am. I'm the liaison for me and for, you know, they'll come to me if there's a child, if a teacher. It used to be that they would the teacher would make the referral and then it would just be they would just make the referral and then the teacher would just leave it as such. But nobody would really contact me. They would just give the teacher some ideas. And now yeah. it's 
I'm part of the process. So get involved, get be part of that process and, and go the extra mile because it's going to benefit really you in the long run because you're going to be providing the service to the students. And hopefully we can keep some of these kids off from, uh, you know, not having to receive those IEPs, right? Isn't that the ultimate yeah. goal? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Last one that I have is I know nothing happens on its own by one single person, especially in the schools. Is there anyone that you would like to give a shout out to or thank for helping you with the on the spot program? Um, in the school or just anybody? Anyone. Anyone. I guess for me, it would be, um, you know, my coworkers, my kindergarten teachers for supporting me and being so flexible. They were so flexible. They were wonderful. And my coworker, who's a speech therapist and our physical therapist, who's also in the room with me and putting up with the chaos of it all, right? Kids <laughs> going out and just me kind of like really um, just talking about it constantly. So they would be the ones. So our physical therapist, Michelle, and uh, my speech therapist, Jana, and then all of my kindergarten crew, they were just amazing and being so flexible. Yeah, it really takes a village. So, you know, that's, yeah. that's awesome that it all came together. Well, Holly, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And uh, congratulations. You're very deserving of, of this award. And I'm excited to, uh, we're gonna have to keep in touch and uh, yeah. see how it goes from here. That'll be really cool. So I you. would love that. I would love that. And I see you every so often because I know you go to Susan Basic's little uh, meets and things like that. I've seen your name in there. Which is, uh, Pop up. Yeah, so hopefully I'll see you soon and we'll be connecting again. I thank you so much for everything and I so much appreciate this award. Absolutely. And that wraps up our very special episode celebrating the extraordinary achievements of our school-based OT of the year, school-based OTA of the year, and our school-based OT student of the year. I hope you were as inspired as I was by their stories and their unwavering dedication to serving the students and staff that they work with. Before we conclude, I want to extend a heartfelt thank you to all three of our awardees, Holly, Elaine, and Amar, for sharing their experiences and insights with us today. Your passion, as well as your commitment to occupational therapy, are truly commendable, and you're making a positive impact that will be felt for years to come. I am thrilled to announce that as a token of our appreciation, each of our awardees is being rewarded an exclusive admission to the Back to School Conference, where they'll have the opportunity to learn, connect, and be inspired by experts in the field. Additionally, they'll receive special OT Schoolhouse swag as a reminder of this significant achievement. Not only that, but we are also dedicated to giving our awardees the public recognition that they truly deserve. So in addition to this podcast, we will be sharing their remarkable achievements through our social outlets to ensure that their hard work and dedication reach a global audience of school-based occupational therapy practitioners and other OT practitioners. I hope this episode has helped to inspire you to continue advocating for the profession that we love and the essential role that occupational therapy plays in the lives of the students and individuals that we serve worldwide. Your dedication is driving the profession forward and making a difference in the communities you serve. As always, thank you so much for joining in today and having a listen. If you enjoyed the show today, please subscribe to the podcast, the OT Schoolhouse Podcast, and we would love for you to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever else you can leave a review. One more time, congratulations to our three award winners, and thank you for sharing your time and expertise with us today. We'll see you next time on the OT Schoolhouse Podcast. 
Thank you for listening to the OT Schoolhouse podcast. For more ways to help you and your students succeed right now, head on over to otschoolhouse.com. Until next time, class is dismissed.